that I'm going to preach on today. And, um, and he said he would take it so that we didn't have to, you know. And, and this, that, this understanding, like as, when I looked at this passage, and I'm like, I'm going to tell people to obey us. Like that's, what I'm, that's essentially the message, right? But that's what the text says. Um, but what I want to do, what I want to do is make sure that we understand all of what the text says. When it says to follow your leaders or obey, uh, most English translations, except for the NIV, just use the word obey, and I'll talk about why that is, or at least why I think that is. I'm certainly no expert uh, in linguistics. Um, But, you know, I think my job today is to really show you from the text what kind of leaders you should be submitting to, rather than yelling at you to submit. Okay? Because this verse has been used by a lot of people to teach a lot of things or legitimize or, or strengthen a lot of things that are garbage that you absolutely should not listen to or follow or obey. So, you know, just as a, a precursor to the point of my message today, the type of people who will remind you who they are so that you do what they're telling you to do are the people that you probably don't want to listen to. Just as a general rule, if somebody has to tell you their authority, you probably shouldn't follow their authority, right? But I want us to look at what the Bible says about authority, because there is real authority that's good, and there's real church authority that's good. But how do we recognize, right, the good from the bad? So that's really what I wanted to get into today. Um, So, remind you where we are. We're past the general two-thirds mark of the teaching portion that is giving you truth that you can base your life on. And, the, the, and we're well into and almost done with uh, the portion of our response as believers. As those who believe what he has taught, what the author has taught, really what all the scripture teaches, how do we then live? Um, and then, of course, on this outline of chapter 13, you can see we're very, very close to the end. And, you know, the reason that I divided this into, you know, three kind of sections was that we have, one, church relationships in the opening six verses, just any church member to each other, right? Uh, And then how do we look at relationships within the church? But then in this last section, which is much longer, takes up most of the passage, he examines uh, leadership, and then he touches on this idea of, uh, of living outside the camp or bearing shame publicly for the name of Christ, and then still through it all praising God, And then finally he goes back to leadership. And I have to believe that the reason he does that, the reason he sort of bookends our life as believers here in this final exhortation around the the leaders is that the people tend to go after their leaders. They need to remember the good testimony of their leaders, but they also need to check their leadership. What kind of leaders are they following? Right? And I mean, you know, that's uh, one of the essentials that we see in the New Testament over and over in different places. In Jude, watching out for false teachers. In um, Paul's guidelines to Timothy and Titus about watching out for bad guys. You don't want to put them in leadership. Um, uh, Acts 20, when Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, he's saying, watch out, there's going to be wolves that come in. Jesus, when he's teaching on false teachers and you're going to know them by their fruit, Inwardly, they're going to be ravenous wolves, even if they come to you looking like sheep. 
So one of the big important things that we need to be able to do within the church, and I say everybody within the church, every single believer within the church needs to at least on some level understand and grow in their ability to discern good teaching from bad teaching, good leadership from bad leadership. And that's what I want to do for us today. So let's read the text. We're going to pray, and then we're going to get right into it. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I I particularly urge you to pray for me, or sorry, to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. So we have two essential um, uh, exhortations here. Uh, We have one, and he kind of folds this in together. He says two things. He says, obey, if you're reading the ESV or basically any English translation other than the NIV, it says obey. The reason I put trust up here is because as I looked up the word, this is, sometimes words surprise me. Sometimes words don't surprise me, but sometimes they do. And I had three words that surprised me when I looked at the Greek uh, for the words. Now, I'm no expert or anything like that, but if you can read a lexicon and you can match up a word, then you can explore why different translators may have translated something a certain way, and you can see connections as you expound on your understanding of the verse. If you read a verse in one translation and you want to know more, read other translations, right? If you read it in the ESV and you want to know a little bit more, read the NIV, read the NLT, read the NASB, right? Read other translations to kind of expound on your understanding of that one verse or phrase or word, right? So here, the word that's translated obey by the other translations and have confidence in, it can mean trust, it can mean follow, and I'm looking through all the New Testament uses of this word, and most of the time, it means either trust in or have confidence in something, And it can either be to a person to trust and confide in someone else or uh, to be the type of, um, uh, rather to, um, there's there's another way I was trying to say that, but it doesn't matter right now. So the idea is mainly that you want to trust in or have confidence or follow. And so that's the sense in which the other English translations are saying obey. In as much as they are the type of guys that you can put your confidence in considering all of Scripture, obey what they say or follow their teaching, right? So that's why I put all three of these up here. We do need to be submissive to leadership. We do need to obey, have trust in. But we need to, we need to be able to trust. We need to be able to have confidence. And so that's why I like the way the NIV translated this. Because um, help us understand what the, what the, this is not a point-blank command. Obey me or else. You know, hey, look, the Bible says obey Jay, so better do it, right? Um, that's not what's going on. The second thing that I want to say is pray for your leaders. He says pray for us. Now, he gives specific reasons to pray, but Paul, uh, he, he says probably eight or nine times in his letters and includes different reasons to pray for leaders. That he'd be bold with the gospel, that he'd be clear with the gospel, that he would... Um, that he would, his service would be acceptable to the churches, and I would assume in his mind acceptable in God's sight, and that he would be protected from the enemies of the gospel. So there's a lot of reasons to pray for your leaders. He gives us a few here. Um, but we all know, right, there's a lot of bad leaders within churches. 
there are a lot of people who have flat out abused people in their congregations. Some people in very big ways, with a very big microphone, cast a big a, 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 among a great audience, a huge audience, and have abused countless people and take advantage of them in, in, uh, in physical, emotional, and in financial ways. Are you saying submit to leaders? Really? Well, I think I've already told you the point of what I want to do today. I want to decide who to submit to. So there's all kinds of leaders. There's good leaders, and there's bad leaders. And sometimes it can be really hard to tell the difference between who's good and who's bad. You could go by appearance, but you don't necessarily have to. You know? Um, and it's not necessarily a good idea. It's, it's, it's morning. Yes, and not everybody caught it, guys. Uh, Voldemort from Harry Potter. He's a bad guy. Yeah. He kind of looks like a bad guy. It's the baldness. I get it, you know can't trust. So how are we supposed to know who to submit to, right? Whether or not to submit to a leader in the church. How are we supposed to know? Well, I think what's really cool is that he gives us some things here. He's given us other things throughout Hebrews, um, and I'm going to expound on that a little bit with some stuff outside of the book of Hebrews. But how do we tell the difference between a good leader and a bad leader, right? Well, the first thing is weigh their words. Listen to the words that they teach. Go back to verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Now, I believe in context, this is talking about who actually preached the gospel to you. But in either case, the gospel comes from the Bible. It comes from the word of God. So the type of teachers that you want teaching are going to be teaching you the word of God. If they're going on and on and on without pointing you to scripture, you should really be careful If they're teaching you from the Word of God, they're reading a verse and they're telling you something that looks exactly opposite of what the Bible says, then be very, very cautious. You don't want people who are going to preach from their own imagination. You don't want people who are going to magnify themselves. You don't want people who are going to tell you a hundred things outside of the Bible based on one thing in the Bible. You've got to be really careful. Watch their words. Listen to their words carefully. In verse 9, he warned you. He says, don't be carried away from, by all kinds of strange teaching. He said, it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Now, I talked about this when we went through this verse, but we, we're talking about grace. We're talking about saving grace. We're talking about gospel grace. Your heart, as a believer, doesn't need to be strengthened by empty encouragement but by encouragement that comes from the Word of God based on the, God, uh, the Word of God and in conjunction with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of encouragement and strength that you need. Not a bunch of, oh, you're a nice person, you're a great person, you've got a good heart after all, kind of empty nonsense. Right? But that God loved you so much that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins and to make you righteous in his sight. That's how valuable you are. That even though you were filthy and dead in your sins, Jesus was willing to die in your place. 
That's of greater value and greater encouragement than anything that this world has to offer. By just, oh, love you and love yourself and you're a good person and, you know, that kind of nonsense. Secondly, watch their way of life. I mean, he says that earlier. He says, remember the outcome of their way of life. That is, those early teachers who preached the gospel to them. Those men who faithfully preached the word. Week in and week out. Their lives matched their teaching. Right? They didn't just teach from the word of God. They were seeking personally to be conformed to the word of God. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. That is, by their life, by how they live. If their words don't match up with their teaching, they're not bearing, I'm sorry, if their lives don't match up with their teaching, then you have, that's a huge red flag. That's not that anybody, not that any leader in the church is perfect, but you should see they're growing just like they're hopefully seeing you're growing. Blatant hypocrisy has no place in the church. It needs to be rebuked. And it certainly needs to be strongly rebuked if it shows up in leadership. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Next, consider their attitude. I I didn't really know how to sum this up because it involves several different things, but I hope you'll see what I'm saying when I say attitude here when we look at these references. So he says in verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they're keeping watch over you as those who must give an account. Now, first I want to deal with that. This is the other word that surprised me. I kind of expected to find the overseer word, like the verb form of overseer. That's what I expected to find. I think it was in 1 Peter 5 that way as a verb, but I I can't remember uh, perfectly. But the idea is that there are three words that have to do with the office of elder or pastor, right? You have the word that's translated elder, pastor, and overseer. And so I expected to see overseer here, but what I I, I didn't see that. Instead, I saw the same word that Jesus used when he talked to all his disciples about how they ought to be living in the end times. He's like, be alert, be watchful. That's the word that's used here. Be alert and be watchful. And then as I'm exploring this word more, it has its roots in shepherding, like you would expect. That as a shepherd sits with his flock at night, he watches over them. He's alert. He doesn't go to sleep. He's careful and he watches over them for their good. Uh, The practical example that I thought about in my life was that before I became a Christian and before we moved up here, um, we, uh, we kept goats when we lived in Georgia. And you had to be really careful because they eat, they eat a lot of things they shouldn't and they can get sick really easily. Um, and one of my goats got really, really sick and it was evidenced by, um, well, I don't want to be crass, but it was evidenced by uh, his, his excrement that he was sick. And so as I'm watching over, I see that he's sick. And when he was little, this one particular goat that I'm talking about, I could easily grab him and, you know, put his medicine in his mouth. The last time he got sick, though, he was probably about 160 pounds. And so a little bit lighter than me, but an animal 
with strong animal instincts and strong survival instincts and a strong aversion to taking medicine. So I had to wrestle this silly thing to the ground and like turn his head sideways to force his mouth up so that I could crank his mouth open and inject this antibiotic into his mouth. Like not, not inject like a needle, but like, you know, a plunger of medicine. And I remember thinking, man, if he's any stronger, there's no way I could do this, right? But I had to. I had to watch out for him, and I had to make him take his medicine. Because otherwise, he would have died. Now, he didn't know that, but I knew that. That's what I thought about when I thought about this, keeping watch over, alert over, being watchful. Why? Because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those who he may devour. And leaders must keep watch over you. That's what I mean by their attitude. Are they keeping watch over you? And then this idea of joy here. Uh, and this idea of desiring to live honorably. I think it's obvious that desiring to live honorably kind of goes in with the fruit. But this a joy to watch out over you. Now, this is a passage that I chose, but there's really a couple key passages that involve joy. One of those is heaven's response for a sinner who repents. And in several places in Acts, uh, I'm sorry, in Luke, Luke shows how God rejoices and heaven rejoices in those who repent, turn from their sin, and listen to God, and go in the way that he has shown. And then Paul, in Philippians, he talks about the joy that he has in believers, actually in a number of places, but Philippians is one that stuck out in my mind. The joy that he has in chapter 1, that they've partnered with him in the gospel. The joy that he hopes to increase in as they increase in their godliness. As they listen and grow in maturity. And then here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, what is our joy? But it's you. He says, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And when I read this passage in Hebrews about the work of the, of the leaders in the church being joy, I knew right away what the author was thinking about. The joy that happens as we see growth in those that we have any kind of influence in their lives. It is great joy. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the growth in people in this church seeing the service of people in this church, the care and the concern that you have for each other, and the care and the concern that you have for people outside. And I think, what great, it's just great joy as you see people growing in Christ. Or if you have to talk to somebody about their sin, and they hear what you say, and they recognize the truth of it. Not like some ornery goat fighting medicine, but like a, a, a sheep who submits really to the primary shepherd, the chief shepherd. But as we do our jobs in shepherding the flock, and they realize that something's wrong and they need to address it, 
it's a great joy because we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your lives. So, so in, it, it's a great joy for a leader to see the growth of the flock because that's exactly what he wants to do. Um, next, are they serious? Are these leaders serious about their responsibility? And I mean specifically what he says here, where he says, they keep watch over you, over your souls, the ESV puts it, as those who must give an account. And it's clear that, that that giving an account is before God. Everyone has to give an account. But those who are in leadership, they have to give an account before God for you. I mean, this puts me in mind of, of Ezekiel and the picture of the watchman. It puts me in mind of 1 Peter 5, Acts chapter 20. Leaders in the church bear a responsibility for your souls. Now, it's not over and above your own responsibility to listen, right? Because as, as God put it to Ezekiel, if somebody doesn't listen to you, they're still going to die in their own sins. If you don't warn them, they're still going to die because of their own sins. But I'll demand accounting of you. And James, that's why he says, you know, not many of you should become teachers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. What are their goals? I picked one spot in Hebrews 12 to look at that shows us some of the goals. Um, But really, a lot of the warnings in Hebrews, as we've looked through, we've seen personal responsibility, and then we've also seen the responsibility of the individual for the other in the church. There's several places that are like this. I chose just to go with this one. He says, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. In the context of that first part, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees from the Old Testament is watching out for other people who are weak. Not necessarily the primary focus in the Old Testament wasn't strengthen yourself. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then he says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. Do you understand that the warning here in Hebrews 12 is that you would watch out for other people, as it has been in many places in Hebrews. Even the idea of leader here, when he talks about leaders, he doesn't use the typical like elder, or he doesn't use deacon, he doesn't use uh, overseer, uh, he doesn't use pastor. Instead, he uses a word leader that appears a couple times in the New Testament, but the, the clearest definition that I could find of this word was those who are leading the charge. In a secular use, it showed like a chief warrior who always led his people into battle. So leader doesn't just have to be elders and deacons. It's those who are out front doing what they must be doing. They're leading by example. And so... These, they're, they're the people who have taken these warning passages of Hebrews and they take them personally and they exercise them personally over themselves and over others, watching out for others that they may have influence in. That's what really a godly leader is. And when we as elders look out into the congregation as we consider people that are younger, the people we're looking for are the people that are out front doing what the word says to do. Because those are the guys who you'd want to be leaders. Those are the people that you want to lead the next generation. And this doesn't just affect men in the church. 
Obviously, the, the office of elder is, refer, is reserved to men, but leadership. I look around the room and I see people, I see women who lead, I see young people who lead, and I see men who lead in various ways. That's because they're out front doing the things that the Bible commands them to do. I see that. And I know that, I know that your examples give... Uh, Jason and Jay, as well as myself, great joy when we see you doing the things that Scripture commands. In Ephesians 4, he makes the goals really, really clear. And so I wanted to include this passage. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of I think it says Christ there, but I don't have the word. The idea is we want you to be like Christ. That's the goal of leadership, that everybody within the church would go on to full maturity in Christ. Finally, do they understand their own dependency on God? He says, pray for us. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Um, as I said before, Paul tells the churches, and he said to Philemon, I believe, pray for us. And he gives a number of reasons why. But the type of leaders who are very clear that they depend on God, the ones who are going to ask you to pray for them, the ones who are going to eagerly and consistently pray for you, are the kind of people you want to lead. The type of people who think that they can do it on their own are not the type of people you want to follow. So, summing it up here, they preach the gospel, the word of God. Their fruit increasingly matches their teaching. Their attitude is one of service, humble service. They take their responsibility before God seriously, understanding what's going to happen at the end, that they're going to be held accountable. Their goal is to see you grow in Christ. And they depend on the enabling power of God. These are the people to follow. These are the people to listen to. These are the people whose faith you want to imitate. And if they don't like, look like this, don't follow them. Don't imitate them. And if they're in your church and they don't look like this, say something to them. So a little bit of self-examination here at the end. Are you submissive toward the leaders in the church? Are you submissive toward the leaders in the church? Are you watching, a, are you watching them, having, having understood and having discerned that they're the type of leader you should follow, they're the, they live the type of life you should imitate? Are you doing that? Are you being submissive toward them? Or do you find a reason to argue with everything they say? Or upon hearing something you don't really want to hear, are you saying, well, remember that one time that person messed up? I don't have to follow him. I don't have to listen to their, what they say. Are you submissive toward the leaders in the church? Are you a burden to your leaders or are you a joy? 
Are you like that silly goat wrestling against medicine that's going to save his life? Fighting because you don't want to listen. Because I can guarantee you that even if you are a burden, your leaders are still, if they are faithful leaders, they're still praying for you. Other, other aspect of that, that word, watch over, um, and you see this in a couple of different translations. In the Arabic translation, it's so funny. Um, they use a word that means to stay up late at night, to lose sleep over. And I think it's such a fitting word. Because I can guarantee you that if you are not submissive toward your leaders, if there's a lot going on in your life and you're not being submissive toward the Word of God primarily, right? Because it's not just the leaders. The leaders are bringing you to the Word of God. Or they ought to be anyway. So if you're rejecting that, if you're rejecting sound teaching and guidance, your leaders are not stopping to pray for you. And they're not going to stop talking to you. They're not going to be, they're going to have sleepless nights over you. They're going to wake up in the middle of the night and pray for you. And they're going to struggle in prayer. How do I reach this person? Because they're taking their responsibility for you seriously. So are you going to be a burden or are you going to be a joy? Are you praying for your leaders? They realize how dependent they are on God. Trust me, they do. If they're faithful leaders, they realize how dependent they are. Are you praying for them? If you have a a beef with any of your leaders, you better be praying for them because you have responsibility to them. Finally, are you willing, able, and fit to lead? Now, I added this, even though it doesn't come out in the text at all, but it occurred to me that with leadership, with regard to leadership in the church, specifically in Acts chapter 20, Paul warns that false teachers are going to come about, and they're going to come about from your own number. And so the question in my mind is, who among the church that is young in the faith is considering whether or not they will lead one day? Who is watching the leaders, imitating their faith, imitating their living, thinking about these things so that one day they'll be able and fit and willing to lead, to exercise that sort of serious care and concern over the flock that has to happen. And so I hope that you, younger people in the church, younger people in your faith, I hope you're considering these things and looking at your life now. Um, The qualifications that you see in in Timothy and Titus that Paul talks about the eldership needing to have and the deacons needing to have, if you really look at it, none of those things are beyond the scope of any Christian life. Even with teaching, even though only elders are supposed to teach the church as a whole and lead the church as a whole, every believer has people in their lives for whom they're responsible to teach the scriptures. Mothers need to teach their children. And older women need to teach the younger women. Younger women need to be good uh, witnesses for Jesus Christ. And if you can't basically explain the truths of the Bible 
to somebody that you're evangelizing, how are they going to understand what you're trying to teach them? So everybody needs to be able to teach, at least in some capacity. If you're a younger person in the faith, are you willing, are you able, are you fit? Are you growing in your fitness to one day lead? Think about these things. We're going to pray, and then we're going to uh, worship the Lord together in song. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for giving godly leaders to the church. Thank you for giving all of us, uh, regardless of where we are in our faith, how, how mature we are in our faith, regardless of whether or not we have any kind of formal leadership position, we have obligations to each other in you. Father, I ask that you would protect all of us from false teaching. Um, I doubt very much whether any false teacher uh, just appears as an as a, as a antichrist automatically. I think a lot of false teachers have really wormed their way into people's lives. And what they say attracts people, at least in some senses. In many cases in worldly ways, but still there's an attractiveness to some of the teaching. They come as, as wolves in sheep's clothing. Father, I ask that you would protect your church here and across America and across the world, that you'd protect your church from false teaching, that you'd help your true church, those who really belong to you, those who have trusted in Christ alone for their salvation, that you'd help them to take responsibility for their local congregations and be examining the lives and the ministries and the teachings of their leaders and calling out those who need to be called out, rebuking them openly if necessary. Father, protect your church from false teaching. And also, Lord, I pray that you'd be working in the lives of younger believers uh, within your church, that you would be raising up the next generation of leaders, people who would faithfully preach and teach your word, who would build their lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the teaching of the apostles, who would have a care and a concern and feel an obligation to each other within the body of Christ to see that each one in the body of Christ attains full maturity and that nobody is distracted by false teaching or, uh, or, 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 um, or, or, um, or distracted by sin, waylaid and hindered by sin. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy to all of us. Thank you for perfect leadership in Jesus Christ. Help us all to imitate him and help us all to look out for each other that we all might be complete in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.